This story in the book of Acts is so short that it leaves a lot to the imagination. We have very few details in this story that really stick out to our 21st century brains. We know from the rest of the book of Acts that the we is Paul and Silas and other missionaries traveling with them. We have some small details about this woman, Lydia. She was from Theatira, an ancient Greek town, but was living in Philippi, which tells us that she was an outsider in her community. At the same time, she was a dealer of purple cloth, which as Adam shared, that tells us that she was rich as purple clothes were only for the elite. And most importantly and obviously, she was a woman. It's not so much shocking that Paul and the others were talking to a woman in public. We see that happen throughout the Gospels. But how did they even encounter this woman? The writer of Acts, Luke, frequently used locations and geography to make a theological point. The setting of the story is no accident. Most of the time when Paul arrived in a new city, he would go to the synagogue to meet with the worshiping community there. That was where the men were and where he would find decision makers, people in positions of authority. And that's what we would expect when he arrived in Philippi. But when he arrived, however, the first thing he did does come as a shock. He went not to the synagogue, but outside the city gates to the river, where there was a Sabbath gathering of women who had come together to pray. Their decision to go to a space for women reminds us that the good news of liberation and resurrection in Christ is not the intellectual property of men or of any group. Where are the women is the fundamental question of feminist international relations. In 1990, Cynthia Enloe established this field of study with her groundbreaking book, Bananas, Beaches, and Bases, Making Feminist Sense of International Relations. In this book, she argues that in order to make reliable sense of how the world works, you must ask, where are the women? Not only that, you must ask, why are they there? Who is benefiting from them being there? And how do they feel about being there? For example, while a military base may traditionally be thought of as a male space, to make a complete sense of a military base, a researcher must take seriously the observations and experiences of women who are themselves members of the military, but also spouses, other female staff members such as secretaries and administrators, and women who work in a variety of professions near the military base. And while this theory is to understand politics and economics, I think this is a question worth asking in the church too. We can ask this question when we read scripture and we can learn new things, not just about the women, but also about the societies that they lived in and how God shows up in our world. When we read the Hebrew scriptures, we find Miriam, the slave girl who saved her brother Moses. We find Rahab, who saved Joshua. But they're not all beautiful stories of deliverance. We also encounter Jephthah's daughter who was sacrificed by her father as a thank you to God for winning a battle. Or we meet Jezebel who was the enemy of the prophet Elijah. 
In the New Testament, we meet Mary, Jesus' mother, who was imaginative and at the same time obedient to God's plan. We meet Mary and Martha, who were among Jesus' closest friends. And in the, various, in the letters to the various early churches, we hear about Phoebe and Eunice, leaders in their Christian communities. And here we meet Lydia, who, opened her whole, who had her whole household be baptized and offers hospitality to Paul and Silas and their companions. One thing we learn when we take women's stories and experiences seriously is that there is not one story of women in the Bible or in the church. There are many varied stories, some wonderful and some terrifying. Perhaps this is the question the apostles were asking when they went to the, women, to the river. They were wondering, where are the women? Where are the women is not only a question for scripture, but also a question to ask of our congregations and our communities. Are women only in the pews? Are they in the kitchen? Are they in the pulpit? Are they on city council? Are they sleeping in Cambridge Common across the street? How did they end up there? And how do they feel about being there? And who is benefiting from them being there? In 1739, John Wesley preached outside of the pulpit for the first time. In fact, he preached outside of the church building entirely and preached in a field instead. In his journal entry that day, he wrote, At four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile and proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. Others found Wesley's approach highly inappropriate but it was essential to his understanding of Christian ministry to reach beyond the confines of the church building and pass the boundaries of polished society to reach everybody. This movement into the margins of society is not only about numbers, it is also about power. Similarly, feminist international relations is not only about women or even gender, it is about power. Cynthia Enlow asks, what forms does power take? Who wields it? And how is power camouflaged so that it might not even look like power? These are worthwhile questions for us to be asking. Where are the power centers of our communities? Who has the power in our communities and where are those who have less power and less access? When we turn our attention to those places on the margins and take the experiences and observations of the people there seriously, we open ourselves to, trans to a transformative encounter, both as individuals and as a community. When Paul and the others go to the river and encounter Lydia, the Lord opens her heart and she is not only baptized herself, but has her whole household baptized. As a demonstration of her conversion, Lydia then opens her home, offering hospitality to Paul and the others with him. Her house apparently became the church, house church in Philippi and the base of missionary activity in that city, as we learn later in the book of Acts. Through her baptism and offered hospitality, social and cultural barriers start to crumble and this corner of the Roman Empire starts to be changed by God's grace. This change in Lydia's life and in her role in the community started with her baptism. 
for baptism is inherently an act of transformation. The water of the river in which Lydia was baptized signified God's transformative grace that brought Lydia and brings us still into new life through and in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of the transformation in the baptismal vows that we take here in the United Methodist Church. When we take vows on behalf of an instant or we are baptized ourselves, we renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sins. And then we accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And just as through baptism, Lydia became a vital part of the community of believers in Philippi, similarly, similarly, through our own baptisms, we are welcomed into a community of grace and love. That day in Philippi, Paul did not find transformation in the city center or in the official places of prayer. Rather, he found it where the women were, outside the gates at the river. Transformation does not only belong to the halls of power, but to the invisible places on the margins of society. And to truly carry out God's transforming work on earth, we must turn our attention not only to City Hall, but also to the community of people living outside the tea stations, not only to capital cities around the world, but to refugee camps and to borders. We must ask our congregations and our communities Where are the people struggling with addiction? Where are the people with disabilities? Where are the people with diverse gender identities? And where are the people who have been harmed by the church? Only then can we truly seek to transform ourselves and the world, shaping each according to God's plan of abundant love, justice, deliverance, and resurrection. Amen.